This our message today. There's going to be a lot of points. Uh, I'm not typically like a. This is going to be very much a teaching, uh, and it's going to challenge you. And I'm really going to need you guys to engage. Really need you to be, uh, you know, attentive and involved. If you're taking notes, uh, you know, follow along. But we've kind of built to this uh, time talking about complete forgiveness and how are we supposed to completely forgive. Uh, and we've kind of built all up to this. And I've had so many wonderful conversations. It's really been great to have the conversations with people. Uh, I mean, it's heavy at times, but like last week, um, you know, we, we talked about three areas of uh, Joseph's life that we could all really kind of see ourselves going through, whether we were walking through it personally at the moment, we've experienced it before, or most likely we're going to see it upcoming. And it was really neat that very afternoon, that Sunday afternoon, that I was able to have conversations with several different people. And just the way that God's Word speaks to different people in different places in their lives from the same passage is just so amazing to me. I just kind of that evidence of that living Word, that no matter what place that we're in, His Word seems to speak to us and be relevant in our lives at that point. And today we're going to walk into some practicality steps here. We're going to talk about some application things, and we're going to be talking out of the uh, life of Joseph in the Old Testament. We're going to be talking about evidence of forgiveness in your life. So if you're asking the question of, hey, someone has really wronged me in the past, and I'm really still feeling the hurt from that, I feel like I've tried to forgive them, but how do I know? How do I know if I've really forgiven them? Because we've kind of provided a little bit of a different framework for what many of us have thought forgiveness was when we started looking from a biblical uh, viewpoint on forgiveness. And now there's the questions being asked of, how do I know? What's the steps? Are there some steps? Is there something that we're led through in Scripture to help us to understand if we're really walking in complete forgiveness. Because you know, this is the thought that hit me this week. You know, We talked the past couple weeks about how I don't want anything in my life to hinder the plans that God has for me. Like I want what God wants for my life. Amen? Do you want what God wants for your life? I got a feeling you do because you're here. And I don't want to shortchange that. I don't, the thought that hit me this week is like, I do not want to stand in front of Jesus and give an account for my life, give an account for what I've done on the day of judgment. And we will. Okay, that's a reality. We don't like that picture sometimes, but each and every one of us in here, we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account for our lives. And we will either be rewarded or judged. In a negative stand, you know, uh, connotation of the word, we'll be rewarded or we'll face the consequences of what we've done here on earth. That's the reality for each and every one of us. And I don't want to stand in front of Jesus, giving an account for my life, and say that, God, I chose not to forgive this person because they, they hurt me so deeply, or they hurt someone I love too much that I just could not bring myself to forgive them. I, in that moment, I don't want Jesus to respond to me with all the things that I missed because of unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. I don't want to stand in front of him 
and have this slideshow going before me of the things that he wanted for my life, the purpose that he had and the plan that he had spoken over my life from the foundation of the world. I don't want to see slideshow images or a movie of things that I've missed because I was harboring unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. So this is why this is so important to us today. Because I think that each and every one of us want God's will in our lives. I want every blessing that God has for me. Amen? If you're here and you don't want them, I'll take yours. If you don't want the blessings he's got, give them to me, I'll take them. But I don't want bitterness and unforgiveness to stand between me and the will of God in my life. And as pastor of this church, I don't want to see bitterness and unforgiveness stand in the way of the plans that God has for this church. Because I started this this whole study, this whole look at this, I started with the question of, God. my prayer was, God, send revival. Send revival. And send it right here. Because why not first church? Amen? Why not here? Well, one of the answers to the why not is if we're walking as a church in bitterness and unforgiveness. So I'm going to, we're going to go through some of the elements of the life of Joseph, and we're going to look at some things that we see as evidences in Joseph's life that he was able to completely forgive his brother. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45, and we're going to look at seven things this morning. Seven things that I believe are evidences that Joseph was walking in complete forgiveness, and I believe that these seven will serve as a litmus test for us in our lives as we walk in forgiveness, as we try not to harbor bitterness in our hearts. And actually, the first one, the first evidence is that we are fully aware, yet we fully forgive. And that's out of Luke. So if you would put Luke 23, 34 up there on the screen for us. This has kind of been the the whole, whole, next, next slide, please. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, when we back up a little bit and we look at the life of Joseph, Joseph was fully aware of exactly what his brothers had done. There wasn't anything that he wasn't aware of in his life because you can trace it all back to the point of when he went out to check on them as a teenager that they were the ones that were responsible for putting him in the cistern. They were the ones that put him into the pit. They were the ones that sold him to the Ishmaelites. They were the ones responsible for the Ishmaelites taking him to the auction block and him being sold to Potiphar, captive, a slave, into an Egyptian master's home, found favor in the sight of Potiphar was falsely accused by his wife, was thrown into prison, spent years in a prison, 
Until finally his interpretation, the gift that God had given him of interpreting and having prophetic dreams came to serve him and he rose to prominence in Egypt. All of this, all of this could be traced back to one event. And in the moment, in Genesis 45, where we see his brothers standing before him in Egypt, unaware that it was Joseph, 22 years had passed, and now he had this, his whole life flashing before his eyes because he saw the very ones who were responsible for him going through what he had gone through. Joseph was fully aware, yet he was still willing to fully forgive. So before we go on, before we advance right now, I want you to think of that, that person or that group of people or that situation, that thing that's either happening in your life or has happened in your past that has opened you up to unforgiveness and bitterness. I don't want, I don't want anybody saying anything. I just want you to go there in your mind. It may be tough to go back to because you may have developed a coping mechanism your survival instinct may have repressed those thoughts, that hurt. You're suppressing the way that you truly feel because maybe it was a trauma so deep that the reality of which you couldn't deal with at that point. And you still have difficulty dealing with it, so you continue to repress it into the subconscious level. But I want you to think about that incident, that person, that group of people, that statement, that action, that situation, whatever it is. And I want to ask you, is this evidence there? Because I'm sure that you're fully aware of what was done to you or someone you love or your family. Now are you willing to fully forgive? Because that's an evidence of being willing and able to walk in complete forgiveness. Because if we're fully aware, but not fully willing to forgive, then we're going to harbor pieces of unforgiveness in our hearts, and that's going to lead to bitterness and resentment. And that will ultimately lead us to missing out on things that God has for our lives. Now the second thing, we can find in chapter 45 of Genesis, verse 1, and that is not making it known. <laughs> That's a really gentle way of don't talk about it. Be quiet. Stop telling other people about it. Verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Get this picture in your mind. They're standing. His brothers are standing in front of him, and Joseph is surrounded by an interpreter because everybody in here is Egyptian, right? These are Hebrews. They're speaking a different language. So he's got his interpreter in there with him also. And Joseph in Hebrew, or I'm sorry, in Egyptian, commands everyone to leave except him and his brothers, even the interpreter. See, because Joseph was not willing to reveal what they had done to him in front of other people. Don't make it known. 
Stop talking about it. Quit recruiting people to your side. Because that's what we do, right? We get hurt. Our natural instinct is to, do you know what they've done to me? Let me can you believe what they... And I mean, we're, we're looking for sympathy. We're, we're may not, we don't want to be gossipers, but that's what we do. Don't tell anyone. Tell God. Tell God. Psalm 143 says that lay all your complaints at the feet of God. And for the sake of this, just let me, let me, let me say this. For the sake of being therapeutic, tell one other person. But make sure that person is safe. Make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. You're seeking out their counsel. You're seeking out their prayers. You're seeking out their support. And it's not telling someone else in order that they can tell somebody else and then they can tell somebody else. You know, what was it the old saying? I think one of the versions of it was telephone, telegram, telechristian. You know, I mean, that's, that's how you communicated things. Tell one person who's safe that'll join you in prayer for a therapy reason, but don't make it known. Don't make it known. The next one we find in verses 2 and 3, keep no record of wrongs. I don't like this one. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like this one. I'm going to just, I'm going to submit this thought to you this morning. I believe that most all, if not all, but most all marriages could be healed and could be restored by the time that we leave here today if we'll stop pointing a finger. Because, I mean, why do we keep records of wrong? So we can revisit them, right? Now, granted... Husbands in the room, you're probably going to forget what happened this morning by the time we leave here today. Right? Because food. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it was like. However, our lovely wives, and I told my, my wife had to leave a little bit early today to uh, to go out of town, but I told her I was going to be talking about this, so I ran it by her. Most of the time, my wife, I forget what I did yesterday. But she can be like, just out of nowhere. Oh, September 15th, 1999, 3.37 p.m. What do you got to say about that? I'm sorry. But I think that if we will just stop pointing a finger, if we'll just quit keeping records of wrongs so that we can regurgitate them later and use them as a manipulation tool. Come on, help me out here a little bit this morning. That's what we do, right? We keep record of wrongs so we can throw them back into the face of somebody else a little bit later because if they're doing something or being something or experiencing something we don't want them to experience, oh, I can pull this out of my back pocket and I can manipulate them in the situation because I don't like what's going on. Selah, Selah. But verses 2 and 3 of keeping no record of wrongs. This is Joseph. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brother, brothers, I am Joseph. 
Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. The very first thing that Joseph does is reveal who he is, and then what does he follow that up with? He asks about his father. Is my father still alive? It's not, I can't believe what you did to me. Like, I remember that pit. Listen, I remember, you want me to take you back and tell you exactly what happened? I can catch you up on 22 years of hardship. I can bring you back up to speed on two decades of misery, of hurt, of pain, of trauma that you caused. See, he has the opportunity to point the finger. But he doesn't. Because he's willing to keep no record of wrongs. First Corinthians, I'm, I'm sorry, second, yeah, yep, first Corinthians. Okay. First Corinthians 13, 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Right? That's the love passage, right? Like every wedding ever has 1 Corinthians 13. But love keeps no record of wrong. So an evidence of forgiveness, complete forgiveness in our lives, is are we willing to keep no record of the wrong that has been done to us? So just the first three, fully aware, fully forgive. We're not going to make it known, and we're not going to keep record of wrongs. The next one we find in verses 4 and 5 is a refusal to punish them. Joseph refuses to punish them. This one's tough too, isn't it? Because if someone has done something to us, against us, our family, someone we love, we want to see them get what's coming to them. Amen? Oh, don't act all holy. We want to see them pay. And then we'll kind of sit back and sometimes in the back of our mind, get him, Jesus. Get him, Jesus. And then he does, it's like, yes, that's the Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. I hate that you're going to, yes, Jesus, thank you. We have to lay aside this desire for our punishment to come about in their lives. Because vengeance is whose? says the Lord. It's His. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But oh, doesn't, doesn't it just stick about right here? Whenever you see that person or that, those people who have hurt you so badly, that not only are they not punished, but they, they're blessed. God has the audacity to bless them. And they're prospering. And they're doing well. Oh, oh if those people only knew Look at how much people love them on social media. Oh, if they only knew the real them. Can I turn that around? Oh, if the people only knew the real you. One of the men that I consider a spiritual mentor to me that I admire the most in this world at this moment looked at me a couple weeks ago and he said, Ben, if you truly knew the real me, you would spit in my face. And this is a man who I look up to that is a man of God, that has served faithfully 
the Lord his whole life. And I mean, I've just got him up there and he, he has this awareness. Like He's like, I'm not going to try to put myself up on a pedestal because I am the worst. And I think that if we would all look at ourselves, like, you know, most of y'all know me and have known me for a very long time. So there's not a whole lot that I can hide from you. But if you really knew me, like knew me, knew me the way that I know me, your, your opinion would be different. But if we look here, verses 4 and 5, he refuses to punish them. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Look at what Joseph did. The moment that he revealed himself, he asked about his father, and it says that they were dismayed, they were troubled, they were anxious. They were worried in his presence. What is it that Joseph says to them? Come near to me. Come near to me. And I tell you, this is a picture of what Jesus does in our life. Like there is no reason that we should ever be standing in the presence of Jesus. None. For our sin, our flesh, our iniquities, none. We can never qualify ourselves to even come close to standing in His presence. But yet, Jesus silences us and says, come near to Me. But as we look at this, is this an evidence in our lives that we're completely forgiving? That we're not wanting to punish them? We're refusing to punish them? Because in the end of this passage, he said, because you sold me here. He doesn't, he doesn't deny it, but he doesn't point the finger of accusation because he follows it up. He said, for God sent me before you to preserve life. All of that hurt, all of that trauma, all of that pain that they caused, he said, yeah, you might have done that, but guess what? God sent me here for right now. He was refusing to punish them. 1 John 4.18 says this, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let me, let me ask you a question. Hold your hand up if this is you. How many of you have perfect love that you love others with yeah me neither but the love of christ you see when the sisters were sending message to jesus about lazarus being sick the message that they sent said lord the one in whom you love is sick not the one who loves you you see, our love is fallible. Our love is flawed. Our love is conditional. But His love is perfect. His love is flawless. His love is infallible. And His love is unconditional for us. And we all ought to better say a big amen to that because that's the good news this morning. That God loves you with a perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. And that's how we need to love others. Just like Kennedy read a little bit earlier. Love others the way that I love you and the way that I love them. 
So in your forgiveness, are you refusing to punish? Next, verses 7 and 8. Not only do we refuse to punish them, we protect them with mercy and grace. We protect them with mercy and grace. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. I want us to turn to John chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. They'll be up here on the screen. This is an example from Jesus' life and the way that He looks at guarding those and protecting people who are guilty of sin with mercy and grace. And as they continued to ask Him, He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more He bent down and wrote on the ground, But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See, it's the mercy and the grace of God that we see evidence in this passage. We see mercy and grace extended from Joseph to his brothers in that story in Genesis 45. And it's God's mercy and grace that you see in operation in your life each and every day. Church, can I tell you that without God's mercy and without God's grace, we'd all be struck dead. Because that's exactly what we deserve in light of Him. We would all be punished. We would all be far worse off than what we are right now. It is through His mercy and His grace alone that you and I are here this morning. But by the grace of God. Amen? It is His mercy and His grace. That's what that's the conduit of His forgiveness in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but I am glad that God completely forgives me. And it's through that that we are to forgive others. Because God protects us with His mercy and His grace. It is by the blood of the Lamb that we are saved. No other. No other. No other way, no other means, nothing other than Jesus Christ. That's how we are protected by mercy and grace. So, are you forgiving completely people in your life by protecting them with mercy and with grace? A little, little side note here. Never, never stop praying for mercy. That's how I lead my prayers now. Asking God for continued mercy. Because if He ever removes His mercy from my life, <laughs> I'm done. Because I stand in need of His mercy every moment of every day. Never cease to ask God for His mercy. 
The next is verses 9 through 13 of Genesis 45, in which we're going to guard them from bitterness. Guard them from the bitterness that tries to establish itself in your heart against them. Verse 9, Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. 22 years, 22 years, Joseph's been waiting on this moment. I want to submit to you that I think that in year two of his whole ordeal after he was sold into slavery, I don't think this would have been the message that Joseph would have sent back. In year 10, I don't think this was the message that Joseph would have sent. In year 20, I don't, but in year 22, God had been preparing him. Remember, we talked about that last week, that preparation that God takes us through, that even in the darkest of moments, God is preparing us for what he has in store for us. In year 22, Joseph protected them, and he guarded them from the bitterness that had been in his heart for years before. Because he carefully crafted the message that he sent back to their father, which protected them notice that joseph said here's exactly what you go and say to our father and not a word of betrayal not a word of hurt not a word of incriminating language not anything that says well first before i tell you where joseph is i've got to tell you how he got there i'm going to tell you all the wrongs that were done to me no no Here's the message. Go and tell him that there's a place prepared for him now. So Joseph was able to completely forgive in 9 through 13 because he was able to guard them from the bitterness that he had dealt with in his heart. So as you're forgiving that person or that situation, what do you value more? What do you value more? Them being found out? or them being forgiven. Because I think that if we were all truthful, we know that we need to forgive them because that's the biblical thing to do, right? But our flesh, you know, that little devil that's on our shoulder over here is going to go, make sure they get found out. Can't stand it if nobody knows what they did. It's hard, isn't it? Yes, preacher, that is extremely hard. I'm glad you asked. I've been needing to get that off my chest. <laughs> That's hard. That's not natural for us to do. When we walk in complete forgiveness, we're no longer walking in the natural. We've entered into the realm of supernatural. Now, we can, we can all get like, ooh, we don't like that word. It's all out there and stuff. 
Completely forgiving for us is not natural. So whenever we are led to completely forgive the way that God is requiring us and asking us to forgive the way that He forgives us, we move from the realm of the natural into the realm of His natural. Lastly, and, and you, can, you can turn there if you'd like, but we're going to go out of Genesis chapter 50. We're going to advance ahead just a few chapters. And we're going to talk about this is a lifelong commitment. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it as evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Walking in complete forgiveness is a lifelong sentence. It is a lifelong daily commitment. Because it would be so nice. It would be so nice if when we forgave someone, that man, we never remembered that again. That that never entered our thoughts. That that never came back up in front of us. It would just be nice to say, I forgive you. And then it just disappeared from the record that our memory would never bring that back up. But the fact remains that there's probably several of you in here that are thinking and still dealing with a hurt that took place decades ago. And you think that you've forgiven, you've tried to forgive, and the enemy keeps pulling it out and putting it in front of you, and then you begin to doubt, you begin to wonder, you begin to fear. Well, I thought that I had forgiven this person or this situation. I must not have forgiven them because here I am dealing with it again. No, forgiveness, completely forgiving, in the the biblical sense of the term, is a lifelong commitment. It is something that we have to do over and over and over again. Because you'll never convince me that every time that Joseph saw his brother's face from that point all the way through, that there wasn't a memory of everything that he had gone through to get to that place. And you know what? In order to live in fullness of forgiveness and not have a trace of bitterness in your heart, you have to look at that person. You have to think of that person. You have to hear that person's voice. You have to recall that situation each and every day. And each and every day, you have to completely forgive them just as much as you did the very first time. That is true, complete biblical forgiveness. 